Good morning. Man, how amazing is this weather after a week of rain and here we are, sunny. I actually, I use a sunscreen with my, uh, with my lotion and I had to put that on this morning because I have no hair. We are in a series called Finding, Learning from David, David's Lessons. And uh, it's a three-part series and we just are taking David's life who did some great things, who's a man after God's own heart, but David also messed up over and over again. And actually that's one of the things that I think I love about David is that though we mess up, though we have times where we disobey, when we go back to the Lord, God will always receive us. And God can always use us regardless of our past, regardless of what we're doing now, if we turn to the Lord. And we see that in David. And so the first week, we talked about how David found freedom. And this was to launch our Finding Freedom uh, group, our session that started two weeks ago. And we have another one Tuesday. And from what I heard from it, it was an amazing time. It was so fruitful, meeting at Ovidia, the chocolate coffee shop, on Tuesday. And it's for anyone who has any hurts, habits, or hang-ups that prevent them from following Jesus. And I'm going to go on the limb, and I think that everybody has a hurt, habit, or hang-up that is preventing them from fully following Jesus. And so you can still jump into that session. And then we have a... Then we started the second week last week of David was a destined to be a king, and his belief determined his behavior. So his belief that he was anointed for destiny, his belief that he had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, dictated how he behaved. And likewise, you guys are destined and anointed to be royalty, adopted sons and daughters of the king. You are a prince and a princess. And I just hope that that message uh, would change how you behave that you would go encourage. And today, I want to talk about how David parented. Now, I understand that many people here are not parents, or you have older kids, maybe you're going to be parents, maybe you have relatives, friends, and so, but I want to say that this message is for everyone, because everyone has a role. Our Fireside Kid program has over 80 people involved. Isn't that amazing? 80 people who are speaking truth into our kids' lives. There was a study that was put out years ago that said that for a child to have its faith stick past 18 years old, a child needed five Christian friends. Now that study has changed, they've done more research, and what they now say is for a child, for their faith to stick to its adult years, needs five adults in their life. Five adults that they can go to that will help them follow Jesus. And so that's why we just saturate our kids with you. You are all part of their growth. And we take seriously the fact that we want our kids have the same Holy Spirit that we have, that we want their faith to stick. And so our hope is that kids just uh, don't just come here on a Sunday morning, but they become followers of Jesus. Now, this message, being parenting, I know that there's many of you, including myself, that wishes you could do things differently. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. This is meant to be encouragement. It's not to say, oh, if I had done this, oh, I should have done that. Well, whatever it is, this is not supposed to be 
guilty or convicting, but it is supposed to have us refocus. And what we're going to take is the main idea, look at David's life. I am by far not an expert on parenting, so this is not my uh, uh, stuff. This is looking at big themes of the scripture. And then on Wednesday night, we are doing a parenting session. It's from Andy and Sandra Stanley called Parenting, Getting It Right. And they are going to be giving us some uh, depth there that we'll be facilitating. We have dozens and dozens of people already signed up for it. And I'm excited. I'm so excited. Matt and Joey Blayback are going to help me and Kate lead it. Uh, The Clementsons are going to help facilitate. Parents who have kids who are out of the house, parents who are in middle school, high school, newborns, everything in between, still in the womb, this is for you because we want to get it right. We want to get it right. But the reality is this. Parenting is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Parenting is hard. I always remember the time when I was in Market Basket and I had my three kids and they're all over the, the market. You know how you have to balance your carriage so it doesn't tip over one way? And they're throwing things in and they put it in and I put it out. And I'm just having a crazy time. And a guy comes up to me. He was probably in his 70s. He said, this is, gonna, this is the best time of your life. Don't miss it. And I remember thinking, your life must really stink now if this is the best because this is really, really hard. I wanted to give some quotes from Jim Gaffigan, who is a comedian who has five kids and lives in New York City. And this is what he says. The hardest part of parenting is when I'm with my kids. The only difference between riding a tandem bike with your uh, eight-year-old and dragging a dead body is nothing. (laughs) Whenever I travel with my young children, I'm always reminded of a very important travel lesson. Never travel with my young children. Bedtime makes you realize how completely incapable you are of being in charge of another human being. My children act like they've never been to sleep before. Bed? What's that? No, I'm not doing that. They never want to go to bed. This is another thing that I will never have in common with my children. Every morning when I wake up, my first thought is this. When can I come back here? It's the carrot that keeps me motivated. Sometimes going to bed feels like the highlight of my day. Ironically to my children, bedtime is a punishment that violates their basic rights as a human being. And once the lights are out, you can expect at least an hour of inmates claying their tin cups on the cell bars. It is hard. Well, why don't we dive in and look at David and see how he parented, look at his successes and his failures and see what we can learn. So 1 Kings chapter 2, that's where we're going to begin. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees, his commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of children, for the gift of kids that are just in our life that may not be children, that you have given us uh, a position to mold their spiritual life. And Lord, I pray that in this room that you would give us insight on how to do that better, to encourage us, knowing that you are the ultimate father who loves us unconditionally. So we ask that you'd come in this room and that you would fill our hearts, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
We are on an endless quest to get parenting right. You go on Instagram, you see Dr. Becky who blew up in COVID. Anyone watch Dr. Becky? We have books, podcasts, everything out there, how to get it right. And I think a lot of us, if you're like me, you think, well, things were way back better then. It was easier when I was a kid. I would just go out and play in the neighborhood, and no one knew where I was. No one cared. And kids, why don't you go out and play? You know, get off your screen. Go and play. Do stuff. Kids didn't bully as much as they bullied. Kids were nicer. And I think a little bit is we probably have kind of a short-term memory. (laughs) Parenting has been hard. We think things were better then or things will be better when. Things were better then when life was simpler. We didn't have to compete with all the things we're competing now. We didn't have sports on Sunday mornings. We didn't have social media. Things were better then. Or we think things will be better when. Things will be better when my child is older, when my child sleeps through the night, or when my child goes to school, or when my child is in middle school or high school or out of the house, or when they have kids and it's endless. And the reality is, no matter what stage it is, it is hard. And now is the time that God has placed us to parent these kids. To kind of uh, uh, acknowledge that it's always been a pursuit, Um, I was, my mom, who is moving from my childhood home, I had the task of cleaning out my dad's office. And I'm looking through all these books, and I'm saying, man, I have two sisters, a younger sister, two older, and these, this is not even all the parenting books that they had. And so here are some of these books that this is from 1973. This is what? That, what is that? 50 years ago. 100,000 copies. You know it's cheap because it was $1.90. Heaven, help the home. And you have a mom and a dad screaming, jumping out of the house. And then you have a brother and a sister fighting. This is like a typical day in the Bauer household right here. You have this one. Um, How to be parents of happy and obedient children. This is from like the 60s. But this is something that we probably ask right now. You ever ask yourself as a parent, how do I be a parent of happy and obedient children? Or how to really love your children. This guy has a really awesome head of hair. A perspective of parent-to-child relationship by a psychiatrist. So going in the medical world is not a new thing. This has been happening for over 50 years. Values begin at home. Parents provide the most important, more influences children ever encounter. How about this? Raising kids God's way. Isn't this something I believe that all believers in Christ should want to, ask, uh, to answer this question? How do we raise kids God's way? And then there were some specific books of like asking my mom, well, who is the strong-willed child that this is written for? <laughs> I think I know which sister this was for. Anyone have strong-willed children? Because kids are different. I think that what we think is like, here's the blueprint to how to parent all kids, and then you realize that each kid is different, and that you have to pivot. So we know what we need to do is take a step back and look at the bigger thing. What is the bigger goal here? Or for those who have children who may be older or out of the house, how about loving a prodigal? One of the hardest things I think parents can go through is a kid who walks away not only from a relationship with Jesus, but maybe a relationship with you. And how do you love a child when they don't really want to love you back? And then I found this one, understanding and managing overactive children. I'm like, Mom, is this for me? She's like, absolutely. And the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. So I got two boys. And I'm like, you know, this is the book I may have to read. 
how to manage overactive children. So here are the pursuit that we are in. If you were to ask parents 50 years ago, when these books were written, what do you want from your child? What is the thing you want for your child? They would say, I want my child to be good. Good character, obedient, I want them to be good. Today, studies say when you ask a parent, what do you want for your child? They say, I want my child to be happy. This is a shift. And honestly, I think it's the wrong shift. Happiness is emotion that comes and goes. I was very happy uh, two days ago when the Celtics won, but I was very sad four days ago when they lost. It's circumstantial. What we are called to do is helping kids have good character and being godly. If I were to ask you, what's the one thing that you want for your child, what would you say? Would you say health, happiness, success, having fun? The list goes on and on. What would you say? And how do you get there? I want to make the argument for today that I believe the Bible tells us as followers of Christ, the number one thing that we should desire for our kids is for them to follow Jesus. I firmly believe that. Now, when we talk about this on Wednesday night, their it is for kids to want to be with a family even when they don't have to be. Basically, they're saying, don't lose your influence in your child's life. And because you don't lose your influence, you can influence them in a godly way. But it's all pointing back to a relationship with Christ. The goal is not to get them out of the house, but the goal is really to get them into heaven. Now, I want to say that differently. The goal is not to have them build their own house, because that's a sign of success. The goal is to have them be a part of building God's kingdom. So how did David do it, and how did he not do it? Number one, I think David desired for his kids to be faithful. What he says to Solomon, who is going to take over as a king, he said, Observe what the Lord your God requires, and walk in obedience to him. This was his charge to Solomon. It wasn't, go, be you, be as successful as you can. He's like, no, 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 no. Observe what the Lord God requires. And Solomon started off really well. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. He built the temple. I mean, he had a pretty good resume. But towards the end of his life, he was influenced by some of his wives who were following false gods. And we'll get that later. I believe that the disobedience in the next generation comes from forgetting who God is in this generation. I believe that as parents, it's our job to tell and to show the love of Christ to our kids. This is a theme in the Bible uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness. It was always forgetting where you see each king. There was a new king, and they, it would say they forgot about the Lord. They didn't follow his commandments. They kind of had a short-term memory. And a lot of it is because their parents failed to share what Christ has done. And Deuteronomy 4.9 says this, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to obey, teach them to your children and to their children after that. And my favorite, Deuteronomy 11.9, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. We are called to 
infuse our relationship with Jesus with our relationship with our kids. And when you are in the car, when you're putting them to bed at night, when you're waking up, that it's our job to say that Jesus is not something that we do on a Sunday morning. Jesus is a part of our everyday life. Actually, um, my dad, you know, he would, I would always watch him and see how he would always make things spiritual. Sometimes good, sometimes frustrating. But it was a part of our upbringing. It's not just saying a prayer before dinner or, or lunch, but that's a good thing. But are you actually infusing your relationship with Jesus? Saying, hey, you know what, daddy's struggling with his job right now. He lost his job. But you know what, God's going to pray. We're, we're praying for this. Would you pray for this? And then when God delivers, say, look what God did. Let's celebrate. You know, let's do something. You know, we're going through this, or we want to help these people. Well, why are we spending time with them? Well, they're hurting, and God has commanded us to go and serve the least of these, so we're doing that. Would you just always have Jesus a part of your life? More things are caught than taught. So it's not just a one-off. Hey, they go to Sunday school or fireside kids. We do our thing, and then the next six and a half days is just whatever we want it to do. That Jesus should be relevant in your life, and your kids will see that. Your kids will see that. It's not just a one and done. I believe that David did this. No, we have scripture. For, we know David's story, fighting Goliath and killing Philistines and all these victories. And I think David would, would talk with his sons and his daughters and be like, hey, this is, I went out and faced this giant. And I said, I go out in the name of the Lord and I took him down. You know, you know Samuel come and anointed me. God saved me. This is what God did. God forgave me when I messed up. And I think that he talked about it with his kids, that it was an everyday thing in his life. What about you? Is it a part of your rhythm? Not just a check the box, but to give God, uh, to give God thankfulness and gratitude, but also to come to him in prayer with your kids. The other thing we see with David is that David struggled with discipline. <laughs> discipline is hard. He had a son named Abnon, and his son Abnon liked his sister, his half-sister Tamar. And when he got the chance, Abnon raped Tamar. And Absalom, Tamar's full brother, got really upset because David didn't do much about it. David kind of wanted to keep the peace, and so keeping the peace was kind of an avoidance. It's like, oh, you know, like, let's just address it. You did something bad. You good? You good? All right, let's move on. And Absalom put things in his own hands, and later Absalom ends up killing his half-brother, Amnon. Absalom gets shipped away for two years, and David makes no contact with him, doesn't try to restore the relationship, and eventually Absalom comes back and overthrows David as king for a time, and Absalom ends up dying in battle. So two sons die because of a lack of discipline, because he didn't address the situation. Solomon says this in Proverbs, interesting that it's David's son who writes, if you truly love your children, you will correct them promptly and consistently. Now, discipline can look very different, and on Wednesday night, we're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what that looks like, how does that work. But the reality is this, that we need to address when our kids are disobedient. That can look different for different kids and for different reasons. So I'm not going to be the one to tell you that, but I think that we need to make sure that we restore the relationship. And in a relationship, we need to address the brokenness that has occurred. 
I remember when I was in fifth grade, and I was a pretty good kid. Me and my buddy was playing around with another buddy, and he left, and my buddy said, hey, you know, put a pencil on his chair. I'm like, okay, and I put it up like that, and I think he meant it to put it like that. And he sat on it, and it pierced his thigh, and he had to go to the hospital. I got sent to the principal's office, and I'm just crying. I got a detention. I got sent home. And I remember it was a really low point in my life. And I remember my mom and my dad saying, all right, this is what we're going to do. You need to call him up and apologize to him and to his mother. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. I'm already embarrassed. No, no, we need to mend this relationship. And I did. Francis Chan, who is an author and a pastor, when his daughter became a teenager in her first big outburst, like I don't know what it was, I think it was a broken curfew or something, he had a different approach. He, he found out about it, she disobeyed, said, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to take you out on a date and we're going to go to dinner. And they went to an expensive dinner and they had a conversation. He said, the reason why I did this was not to uh, give you a present or not to celebrate, but it's to let you know that no matter what you do, I will always love you. Also, no, this is the only time this is going to happen. <laughs> but I want you to know that I will always love you no matter how much you mess up or disobey. The point is this. Address the discipline. But discipline can requires a lot. Sometimes, if you're like me, you don't have the energy to do that. This is what happened with David in 1 Kings 1. He says, when David was very old, he could not keep warm. So David is sick. He's dying. Now, his son, Adonijah, who was another son, whose mother was Haggis, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Verse 6, I think this is so fascinating. This is in scripture. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? David is sick, and he just didn't want to address the disobedience that was happening. He never rebuked him. He never confronted his son. And later on, Adonai, his third son, dies because of this. My worst days of parenting come from my worst days. I'm too tired. I'm not feeling well. I'm exhausted. I'm in a bad mood. Go do whatever you want. You want to do that? Who cares? I'm embarrassed to tell you some of the things that I've done. I don't want to deal with this. You guys just, just duke it out. And when you see blood, tell me. <laughs> But so much, our circumstances cannot drive how we parent our kids. My relationship, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a sickness, maybe you're concentrating on another kid, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to call attention. We shouldn't be like David, who never rebuked him and never said, why do you behave as you do? We need to address it. The third thing is what David did was he parented with the end in mind. 1 Kings 11.4, as Solomon grew old, this was, is this the end of his son's life. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. It's sad that Solomon strayed away from the Lord, but yet David is still acclaimed as a faithful servant of God. And then since then, every king was compared to their father. Every king from there was compared to their father. He obeyed, he did evil, or he was good like David. Your kids are going to follow in your footsteps. The question is, where are those footsteps leading them? That's what we need to ask. They're going to follow your footsteps. Where are you taking them? Direction determines your destination. 
You need to have a goal. I, and I want to believe that as every follower of Jesus, their goal should be, I want my kids to follow Jesus. So that should be the, uh, the directions that march our kids forward. And how that happens can be different. Another question is this. Are you the person that you want your child to grow up to be like? Are you the children? If I were to say, oh, they are just like you on a faith ways. They have just like the same faith that you have. Would that be an insult or a compliment? And if you're not there, how do you get there? Start with you. Don't be hypocritical and don't try to portray a faith that you may not have. Are you the parent? Are you the person that you want your child to be like? Are you living, worshiping, acting, parenting the way you hope your children does? What people say about you, what they said about many of the kings and David's descendants, they followed the Lord as his mother and father fathered, followed the Lord. Would they say that about you? In the last book I saw, my dad had this, the dad in the mirror. How to see your heart for God reflected in your children. This is what we hope. It starts with our heart for the Lord I remember every morning I would wake up, actually before I would wake up, my dad would sit in the same chair and he had this Bible, this King James Bible, it had to be King James, and the Bible is all duct taped, worn through, and that's where he would have his time to pray and to read with the Lord. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me for my whole entire life. We want the same for our children. Would we model what it really means to love Jesus in a way where if they were to follow, it would be an amazing thing. I do believe that the goal for parents is to have them have a faith that sticks. And everything else, I believe, will stem from that, a genuine faith. And what we see with every generation, that there are less and less believers in America. So what can we do? If that's our target, if that's our target, I remember hearing uh, Levi Lesko, he lost his daughter to an asthma attack. He had four kids and lost one, and he said this, and I'll never forget it. He says, I, we have one in the target and three in the quiver. One is in the target, one is with Jesus in heaven, and three are still waiting to be launched. This is something that Kate and I have talked about all the time with, with our kids and there are times when we see the culture and when we parent our kids, we think this world is so hard. Parenting is so hard. And there's times, not a lot of times, where we say, I'm just so thankful that Ellie's with Jesus right now. We've accomplished our goal. See, if our goal as parents is to have healthy, successful, happy kids, then honestly, Kay and I failed with Ellie. But if our goal is for them to be with Jesus, then I could say without a doubt we fully succeeded. One in the target. Three in the quiver. And we need each other to do this. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. It's iron sharpens iron. People coming along each other and saying, how do we have our kids follow Jesus? And that's our hope for Farsha. Could we be a church that changes the next generation? And it starts with us as parents. As the band comes up, we're going to, pass communion out as well and I want you to wait we're going to take communion together at the end but as a band plays I want us to think about this think about kids 
your kids or other kids, think about yourself. Are you reflecting the faith that you want your child or maybe your niece, your nephew, your friends to have? Where they would say they follow Jesus like this person. They follow Jesus like their mother, their father, and that would be a good thing. If we follow Jesus in a genuine way, this is the thing that most kids would have their faith stick is by modeling and following the footsteps that we provide. So as communion comes, would you just take time to let the Spirit speak to you? And would you think about joining us on Wednesday nights as well? where we are going to go a little bit on more of the practical stuff. We're going to really dive in, have discussion about it. No matter where you are and what stage of life, you never stop parenting. You never stop parenting. I was talking to Kate's mom a few weeks ago. She said, you know, what? when, my, when you guys were young, I didn't sleep because you were uh, keeping me up all night. And now, as I get older, I don't sleep because I'm worrying about you all night. <laughs> So basically, we don't get sleep ever again. (laughs) But it never stops. Your role and how you interact, the relationship may change, but you still are the most influential person in your child's life. So, Lord, we receive this communion, Lord, being reminded of the greatest sacrifice that you've given was your body and your blood shed for us, Lord, that we may be with you for eternity, Lord, and God, call, we are called to also sacrifice, and it starts with sacrificing to our kids. When we're not feeling like we want to, would you give us the strength? When we're not feeling like we know how to, would you give us the wisdom? Lord, help us. We pray for our children. We pray for every one of them, Lord, that they would know who you are, and they would have a genuine relationship with you, that they would not just grow up to follow you, but they would grow up to help others follow you as well. Lord, you are building disciple makers. There's a factory of disciple makers being made right now, Lord, and they're being dispersed into schools, into daycares, into neighborhoods, Lord. Would, you, would that light that you shine through them be brighter than ever, Lord? Help us, Lord. Strengthen us as parents, Lord. Help us navigate the culture. Help us navigate other friends, the dynamics, everything that makes life so complicated that seems magnified for these kids, Lord. We pray pray that you'd give us wisdom. Give them strength. Don't give them a spirit of fear. Give them a, uh, give them a spirit of confidence that only can come from you, Lord. And God, would you use this church to make more disciples, to shine your light brighter as parents, as uncles, as aunts, as grandparents, as friends, as neighbors, Lord. All of us are commanded to love these children as you have loved us.